continent, modern-day Syria, that was covered by the gospel in the early church. Can you imagine today if modern-day Syria was covered by the gospel? Maybe we wouldn't have to sell arms there. Maybe we wouldn't have to worry about ISIS there. Maybe we wouldn't have to worry about a lot of things there. It's funny to hear about all the great churches. We go read about Ephesus and Corinthian and, and all these other great churches that are no longer there. You know, books that we've just learned from all of their hardship. We've learned from all of the things that have happened to them, and yet uh, they're no longer there. Uh, which should be a, a, a sober awakening to the church today. Will we be remembered tomorrow? Will, will there be anything left of us? Will we have left a stamp on uh, society? Will people remember us when we're gone? The church can disappear from an area just like that. I mean... One of the reasons, well, I better not get into that. I don't know what the legal ramifications for that are. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. That already sounds bad, right? But uh, we'll move on. So we've been running through all of Peter's letters so far. I think we're in like part four or five of this whole kind of series. Uh, uh, and um, Peter's someone we relate to. Uh, he is, life is all over the place. I mean, like you saw, he, oh, he's the first to do many things. First to uh, preach the gospel there at the book of Acts. First to lead the first Gentile to the God, but also the first to deny Christ and the first to uh, literally in the middle of Christ. I can't believe I would serve. Can you imagine serving under Jesus and cutting people's ears off? I always just, that's one of my favorite parts. It just seems so at odds. Like, God, bro, you've been there three years with this guy in seminary. I mean, this, this guy has been teaching you left and right about loving and caring and feeding people. And the first guy that comes up and puts his hands on Jesus, you try to cut their head off. I mean, First of all, he's obviously not a good swordsman, though. Maybe he was better with a fishing pole. Uh, he only got the ear, missed the whole head, you know. But I, I believe Jesus would have put a whole head back on if he had to, you know. So maybe we're just happy it was only the ear. Uh, there, Peter's life is full of valleys. It's full of mountains. And that's the one thing where we relate to a lot of it. Uh, he, he's just, he has as many mistakes as he has successes. And so he, he comes off as, he's like most definitely somebody who's one of us. He's like us in every way. And the maturity in Peter at this stage in life, first of all, he's finally writing his own letters, uh, which, by the way, if you didn't know, Mark's gospel and the, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Mark's gospel, it's believed to be written by the, the not necessarily the apostle, but actually, if you remember John Mark in the book of Acts, who's helped out Barnabas and helped out uh, Paul, John Mark is believed to be the author of the, of the gospel, according to Mark, and it, as dictated by Peter. So in the beginning, Peter's not even or is seemingly smart enough to write his own book. He's got somebody else doing that for him. But now we see him at least writing letters. He's come a long way from a person who's been called Satan, lied about knowing Christ, and struggled with being a hypocrite in Gentiles. He has come a long ways, especially when he's talking about so much love, so much caring for somebody, so, so much trying to reach out and help people and bring unity. It's a different type of Peter. And so we pick up today where we left off in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're, like I said, last week we, we, we talked about how it applies to people that we're subject underneath our jobs, our governments, things like that. Today we're talking about husbands and about wives and family. And so if I step on your toes, I'm, I, I want to say I'm sorry, but I'm not sure the word of God is. Uh, I, literally, I, I believe it or not, I actually had to think twice about some of the things I wrote down and literally pulled some out. So y'all just be happy about that today. Just know this, if it stung a little bit, it could have stung a whole lot, all right? Mercy held me back. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them on or you can flip their page either way. 
It reads like this, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by, your, by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Believe it or not, I am not going to sit there and spend time on how wives you should call your husband's master. I am so tempted to, but I am not going to go there this morning. Well, maybe a little. Maybe a little. I'll tell you this. This is one thing I used to, I used to pray that around as a fun scripture to say. Uh, and I said it one time around my mentor's wife. I said, you know what? I think you should be calling, you know, your husband Lord like Abraham. You know, because in other translations, it's Lord, which I'll take that one too. And it says, you should call your husband Lord, right? As, Abraham, as Sarah did Abraham. She goes, I tell you what, as soon as he loves me like Christ loves the church, I'll be happy to call him that. Great answer, by the way. Great answer, by the way. Right? So the idea of an unequally yoked couple isn't new, nor has it faded with time. People meet Christ in all kinds of crossroads in their life. The one thing that's been constant I've seen throughout my entire life is that I tend to make a mess of it. (laughs) The gift that has been given to me that is my life, I tend to oftentimes make horrible mistakes and, and make bad decisions. That's like a constant. Like, and, and, whether it's like spaced out between one to the next or whether they seem like really big bad decisions and small bad decisions are neither here nor there. The fact that I still struggle, that we all struggle, is proof to say that when we come together, the struggle just gets bigger. Amen. <laughs> People meet Christ at all kinds of crossroads. My wife had a better grip on salvation than I did when I first met my wife. Uh, she had a like moral compass, uh, literally, that was imparted to her by Christ. And so to me, that made her attractive. Now, this is exactly what Peter's saying here, that in her pursuit for Christ or her pursuit to have this, uh, I would call it the Holy Spirit of conviction, right, that that would come upon her and like make her feel bad. By the way, it's not always bad to feel bad. You should feel some guilt when you do things that are unrighteous, all right? And so so when I would see that in her, and and honestly, I did not have that. So to me, these these things were never, I won't say bad, like it's like I knew they were bad. I just didn't care. I was emotionless about these things. And so when I saw that in her, it began to be something that's very attractive because I saw it as something I did not possess. I saw, honestly, I saw power in self-control. Man, there's, a, there's something to be said about people who have unbelievable self-control, right? And this is what Peter's saying. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent life. So the more I watch joy... The more I watched my wife early on in her life, not not to say she was perfect or she was living some righteous, upright life completely, but the idea that she had in the back of her head, in her speech, and in the things that she was saying and doing, the things that she was aspiring for, there was something in there that attracted me. Listen, it was beyond looks. It was beyond just appearance. There was something more to that. And I used to say early on, oh, yeah, joy is my moral. A lot of you all have heard me say this. Joy is my moral compass. Early on, she wore the pants in the family because she was the only one that knew the Lord enough to lead. 
And so she led our family for the longest time until God pulled me around and, and called me out to be a leader. And listen, I don't mean like a leader from the pulpit. I mean a leader in my house. Like, hey, why don't you pray for your wife? Why don't you start praying for your kids? Why don't you be the man of the house and start going out and taking care, which means compromising what you want and start, start serving her in the way that she needs, right? And this began to be a thing that in my life. And, and it all started because I observed her. I observed how she was serving me and then longed and desired to serve her in the same fashion, Right? This watching leads to following. And isn't this what Solomon wrote about in Proverbs 31? It says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Down to verse 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. These, there are many virtuous and capable women. This is what the husband says. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Now, women mainly because I've seen this too much in ministry, be careful here because there's a trap for you if you're not careful. The idea of calling or declaring yourself a Proverbs 31 woman is upon you, right? This whole idea of calling yourself that, right? And if you're not careful, it's there to inflate your ego, to halt you in your pursuit for virtue. For pride swells the feet that causes the fall. This is why Peter is so quick to remind you that your husband will be won over by observing your life, by the way, not listening to you boast about it. It would do you wise to remember that a man wrote Proverbs 31. Proverbs, after careful observation, it's not a self-declaration or a t-shirt to be worn. It's not a meme to be uh, shared on Facebook. It is a way of life. In your pursuit of being the servant, of being Christ, this is what will be observed for you and of you, right? I saw somebody the other day post something that says, you know, uh, uh, it said uh, uh, most people, um, people want the platform to leave but really never want to lead. And I said, you know, the person who desires the platform already is on a slippery slide, Right? The idea that we want to call ourselves this and we want to call ourselves that as if it's going to be this way. Listen, the only way you're going to be called something is the fruit bears it, right? If it's an apple, guess what it came off of? An apple tree. If it's a pear, guess what it came off? A pear tree, right? If you're being called names, you're being called something. Listen, there might be times of injustice, but more often than not, what does your fruit look like and what does it smell like? Your beauty isn't found in titles, not in how you look or how you dress, is found in how purely your pursuit of the Lord is. Oh, that we would put as much thought into serving Christ as we do about how we look and appear. We'd already be in revival. In his book, Abba's Child, Brendan Manning speaks to the inner self. And if you have not read Abba's Child, in chapter 2, The Imposter, it's a must read. Brandon tells us uh, to veil ourselves, uh, basically tells us all about how we veil ourselves, how we cover up what God has created, and we, it keeps us from living this full and sanctified life. And let me just share with you a little bit of what Brandon says. This is so good if you get this. The imposter 
is attentive to the size, shape, and color of the bandages that veil my nothingness. The false self persuades me to be preoccupied with my weight. If I binge on a pint of haagen peanut butter vanilla and the scale signals distress the following morning, I'm crestfallen. A beautiful day of sunshine beckons, but for the self-absorbed imposter, the bloom is off the rose. I think Jesus smiles at these minor vanities, checking myself out in the front store window while pretending to look at the merchandise. But they kidnap my attention away from the indwelling God and temporarily rob me of the joy of God's Holy Spirit. Yet the false self, the imposter, rationalizes my preoccupation with my waistline and overall appearance and whispers, a fat, sloppy image will diminish your credibility in ministry. Cunning. The imposter demands to be noticed. His cravings for compliments energizes his futile quest for carnal satisfactions. His bandages are his identity because appearances are everything. Powerful. Powerful. Don't buy in to the imposter's lies. I remember what I said about the church and my wife with the whole makeup thing. You know, and for those of you who weren't here, I said, you know, my wife, she doesn't think she's very pretty. So she has to wear all this. She gets up every morning, she puts this whole makeup thing on. And she's got to wear it all the time so she feels built up and she feels pretty. And listen, it doesn't stay that way. I mean, like she gets up in the morning, that thing is smeared down one side of her face, and it, it just is not on. And I'm like, why don't you just keep, if this is what makes you feel pretty, why don't you do this all the time? But women, you know, because it's exhausting. Putting that stuff on all the time, it's exhausting, man. You, you don't even like wearing it. That's the, sad, that's the funniest part about it, right? But you're so worried, so want to keep up the way you look, so want to keep up the way you're perceived, your appearance. Can I tell you, the church is a lot like that, too. She's bought into the lies, so she puts a little smoke in the background, puts a little smoky eyes and a little bit of lights here, a little bit of music there. She, she sweetens up the taste by offering you gifts and anything she can to make you come in her doors. But the truth of the matter is she's beautiful just like she is. She doesn't need any more of the makeup or anything else to cover her face. God has made her perfect the way she is, but the world has been relentless in telling her lies. Listen, as a guy who has four girls in the house, the biggest battle I have to face is the battle of appearance. This worldly voice that comes in my house and tries to tell my kids they are not beautiful unless they look like this, unless they wear this makeup, unless they dress like this. That's funny how we get older. Some of that stuff leads it a little bit behind because we're like, yeah, we shop at Walmart now. Like We would never say that as kids, but we do it now. We see how silly some of that is, Right? Our shallow friends are gone. The ones that love us for who we really are as we get older are there. We find real friendship, real meaning. Do not buy into the imposter's lies. No one's saying don't be healthy. But your beauty lies not on what is only skin deep or service deep. Your beauty is in the Lord. Christ beckons that we put our trust in Him to hand out mercy as we receive mercy to work according to the work we've been given to keep our tongue to ourselves, speaking wisely about every matter. Our pursuit of Christ is what makes us beautiful. That's why we boast about our brokenness here at Mosaic. The whole idea of what is a mosaic, it's broken pieces that come together and make something beautiful. It's okay. You know why we glory in our brokenness? Because we show the world that only Christ can redeem this. We're honest so people will know that there are others that are like them. Trying not to hide things. And men, before you think you're getting off scot-free today, 1 Peter 3, just verse 7 right there. 
And I'm not going to let you just get off with one verse. In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. I would probably never say that. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I love that he ties that on there. Like, guys, you want your prayers to quit being hindered in things in life? How about start treating your wife better? You give honor to your wives. You sing their praises. You love them dearly. Listen to Paul. You thought I was just going to let you get off with one scripture. I didn't let the women get off with one scripture. You don't get to either. Ephesians 5, 25 through 23. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way of Christ, and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Man, isn't it hard to die for your wife? I mean, doesn't it seem like it's impossible? How can we love like that when we're really never given the opportunity but I don't know if like, we're begging for it. Like, God, I'm going to wake up today, and I pray that you'd give me an opportunity to die for my wife today. But I tell you, we die for our wife every time. We die to our desires in pursuit of another's heart. When our wives see us bear a cross and give ourselves up for others, when they see us act selfless, when they see us do more for our kids and spend those long hours working for things, when they see us be selfless in all acts and all shapes and all forms, we've died to ourselves. We've gotten up on the cross and we have died. And I'm telling you, men, your wives will follow you. They will see Christ and they will follow him. We will have won them as Christ has won us by his unselfish, all-loving, all-forgiving heart. I mean, don't you know that the joy, love, forgiveness, and acceptance found in marriage is just a shadow of what's to come? I mean, marriage is a wonderful thing. I've been, this is my 20 year. I mean, some of you are like, yeah, that's, you're still a baby. But for me, that's a big deal. 20 years I've been married. 20 years. And it's not, it's not been easy. Right? And let me tell you why. It's not because, well, we just fight and there's been things. No, it's because I'm selfish and she's selfish and we're constantly having to die on the cross all the time. By the way, the cross is painful. Hurt Jesus. It hurts us. Right? I mean, it's not been easy. But we press on and we push through. And you know what we know about our marriage? We know that, look, as hard as this is and as as complicated as this, even as great as it can be, because one of the great things about marriage is that this, this kindred soul thing that goes on where you finally feel like somebody gets you, somebody laughs at your jokes, somebody loves you when you're hurting, and somebody's always there for you. It's the simple times, too. It's not like the big moments when somebody's died. It's like when it's that moment where you've had a long day, and it's just your wife rubbing your head. It's simple things that you appreciate. And as good as those things are, if you think about the most wonderful moments, they're a shadow of what heaven will be like in our marriage to God. 
We've seen Christ this way, right? We've already seen how selfless, loving, and forgiving, and caring that Christ is. We're reminded every Easter. We're about to celebrate it. Finally, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 12, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you should be one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. Work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. I mean, if there was any question of what you're called to do, Peter uses that word called so you don't miss it. I can't tell you how many times people come to me asking me that question. I'm not sure what I'm called to do. Well, I can think of a few things in the Bible where it specifically says you were called to be a certain way. Literally says you were called. How about focus on those and watch your purpose develop from there? Just an idea. How many of us go before God asking him the same things, right? And it turns out the simple things are not so simple. Sometimes we look at these things like this and go, well, those are simple things, God. I'm really looking, what am I deeply called to? Uh, I'm not sure they're so simple. I mean, even as I was reading that, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. I don't, God. I do it an hour later, and I think about that conversation, what I really could have said. That's when I do it, right? Oh, I'm the only one that sits in my car and thinks, oh, I should have said this. That would have been a good one, Right? And I totally think evil in that moment. The simple things aren't so simple, are they? They're not, it's not so easy just to walk away from somebody who's hurt you deeply, who said something that has stung you to the core. Right? That's why we're gossipers. That's why we talk. It's going to come out eventually. Listen, if I don't say these things and be honest for you, don't you know it's going to come out of my mouth eventually? I talk way too much for it not to. Listen, they say from... From the heart, the mouth speaks. It's coming out either way. I've yet to know a man or woman that has conquered the ability to be all loving, all forgiving, all caring. Save Christ. We've got some work to do in that area. And we'd be wise to heed the words of Peter here. And let me run down that list again. Live in unity with each other. And if you don't know how, just keep reading, right? He says, be sympathetic genuinely feel sorry for someone when they're hurting. Genuinely, emotionally attach yourself to it. Love each other the way a family can love. Be tenderhearted. Be humble. Just because someone does something to you doesn't mean you have to do it back. That's a hard one. There's no excuse there. It's neither humble nor loving. Don't talk about other people and hurl around insults at anyone. Speak blessings over people. You ever heard of killing with kindness? Listen, as long as you're genuinely kind, that's okay. If you're just being kind to irritate them, that's not kind. By the way, that's how we interpret that. Am I wrong? And here's where I'm going to kind of shoot some arrows back at me. How are we going to love each other if all we do come in here is sing and preach? I'm so sick of church, man. Am I supposed to say that as a pastor? I don't think so, but... 
How are we ever going to be a family if all we do is come in on Sunday, listen to somebody play music for 20 minutes, somebody yell at you about how you're supposed to be for 20 minutes? How are we supposed to love each other and be a family? When's the last time? My only time my dad rants at me is when I did something bad. And church should never have to feel like you come in here so I can get rant raved at by dad because I did something bad again. Last I saw a relationship is two ways. Family happens because conversations are both ways. We share bonds through special moments. We, we go through deaths together. We go through births together. We go through hard times together. We go through troubles together. We go through trials together. We go through the fire together. That's what family is, right? When did, when did just preaching and singing and just being so one-sided become the church? I mean, it seems so one-sided. We come in here, I yell at you, I sing at you, we're done, we call it a day, we feel like we've been done something good for God, but there's no family in that. As a matter of fact, I'm not so sure our prayer life isn't the same thing. It's really one-sided, where we just talk it, talk it, talk at God, and talk at God, and there's never a relationship back. And we just assume that's just the way it is because we never heard God speak, probably because we talk too much. You know, one of the things that I am wrestling with hard, some of you have already heard me say it, I felt the Lord just, I told my wife, it's like, I'm getting to the place where I'm about to just ban, I'm about to get like David Wilkerson up in here, man. Well, I'm getting to where it's just like, I don't want to listen to the TV, any kind of media, I just, media, I just, media, I just want to, I just want to shut. Let me tell you something, you know why I don't? It's not because I love TV and everything, it's because I don't want to be alone with myself either. I've been so trained to be entertained that if I sat alone for five minutes, I would be so bored, it would be all I could do not to get my phone out. That's embarrassing. We want Elijah's. We want John the Baptist. But who will go and be alone with God anymore? We're training our men and women. We're raising them up in a a day and age where they're taught. They're never, ever not entertained, not kept busy. So that when there's a quiet moment, it drives them crazy. I'm not sure that's not the devil. Go back and look at the Old Testament. You want, you want to see the power of God, the power of men and God, when they combine together and they create men like Elijah, create men like John the Baptist, they're forged in the deserts. They're forged in the quiet places where there's nothing, nothing. Martin Luther, the reason we're all Protestant today, because of Martin Luther said I, he I couldn't get anything done unless he prayed for three hours. Some of us go, I ain't got three hours. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the early church, the biblical church, was onto something when they met just over a bit of food and prayer. And just maybe we've made church into our own image, a thing of convenience, of works, and time management. And we, This is where we get different with Mosaic. We say Mosaic is not a church where families can come. We say Mosaic, Mosaic is a family, period. Mosaic is a family. We don't have, this is not a church for a bunch of different families to come, and we're friendly to families. Mosaic is a family. There is one family here. When we meet on Wednesday, we have food all together. We jump around and hop from table to table, and we see how each other are. We greet each other, and we hug on each other, and we ask each other how our day goes. And I'm telling you, if that's not the most important thing we do, then I've misinterpreted the book of Acts because that is the early church. The church that was on fire, the church that moved from one place to the next was a church that was built upon family, one family. We're in this together 
in it together. But what we've made church seem so shallow. It's no wonder people don't like church today. It's much like a restaurant, right? Trying to meet the needs of its customer instead of being a family that loves and supports each other. That's what Peter's calling us to. He says, listen, husbands, get it right in your house. Wives, get it right in your house. But more than anything, when we come together, if you've got it right and you've got it right, when you come together, we'll show how it all is right. It'll all be right. When we come together, we'll be confident, right? I'm pursuing Christ. My wife is pursuing Christ. And then as we join others that are pursuing Christ, we can encourage and build each other up. And instead of being one little family that's linked together by a bunch of people who are applauding us all, no, we're all linked together. We're all brothers and we're all sisters. We're all going to the same place. It's all going to be kingdom. Some of us are going to be like blown out of our minds. What? Church of Christ made it here? What? Baptist folks are here too? Crazy. Uh-huh. We're all going to be in heaven together. It's going to be really embarrassing about all our doctrines. We're going to be like, hey, I was really dumb, wasn't I? Like some of the greatest theologians go, I totally missed that. You know? And why do we do it all so we can obtain heaven? No. We obtain heaven in Christ. It's clear that God cares not just for us if we make it to heaven. God cares about how we live here so that we can enjoy life and see many happy days is what Peter says. I'm telling you this so you can enjoy life now. Enjoy life now. Not, you, don't have to, you don't have to run around being fake. You don't have to run around acting like you're what, what, what you're not. You should be able to go to a place where you can be you, where you're accepted as you are. And, well, that's impossible. No, it's not. It's not. There is nothing impossible in Christ. And as long as you keep believing that, you're already living in a prison. When Jesus said, I've come to set you free, what was he setting you free from? What physical bond? Did you see chains around your ankles? Have you seen chains around your wrists? No. He's freeing you from this person that you feel like you need to appear to be. God knows who you really are. It's going to be hard for here on earth, man, for a little while. And we do await the call of the trumpets. But God doesn't want us to be miserable. He's trying to get us to focus on Christ, to bring our hope and our salvation and our joy and our life to just fix us on him. Right? And when Christ becomes our focus, it's only then that we can have peace. Through our constant fixation on him, we become him, and we find ourselves transformed into a new creation, sanctified, set free. And we're changed. And that comes from all of us, right? It comes from the, all of us working together. I'm going to tell you, they say it takes tribe, a tribe to raise children. It takes a tribe to raise all of us. I can't tell you how many times friends have helped me out. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to my aid and, and been the biggest blessings of my life. Many of you in here have been a giant blessing to my life, and I could not do what I do today. I could not speak to you with such passion. I could not speak to you with such conviction had not I seen Jesus in so many of you. People tell me all the time, have you ever seen Jesus? I say, yes, I see him all the time. But he wears a lot of different faces. He wears a lot of different faces. So you wonder why I get up every morning. I'm going to go be honest. I'm going to admit the things that I feel weird to admit from the pulpit. I'm going to say things that are like, yes, that make me seem more human and vulnerable. And, and I, I, I worry all the time if you see me for how I am, when I share with you my, my uh, troubles or, or when I share with you my weaknesses, are you still going to trust me as a leader? Are you still Listen, I have to throw all those things down because that's the imposter talking. It doesn't matter if you trust me. It doesn't matter how you feel about me. What matters is what Christ has done for me. 
and who Christ is. And, and the only way I can glorify Christ to you is by admitting what he's done for me. All right, so when I come in here and I am, by the way, this is a great encouragement here. This is how husbands should love their wives. This is how wives should be. I mean, listen, when we're honest, it lets everybody know we're real. And if we start out real in our household, it will seep into the rest of our life. When I can be honest to my wife and tell her I am struggling here. Like, how many of you we've ever told, like, the reason why we don't go on a cruise? Because we just straight up totally drink a Corona. But being that I'm an alcoholic, that's not a good thing. All right? Hadn't drank in a long time, but I ain't going to lie. Every commercial. I have to get saved, like, all over again. Boy, I want to be on the beach, sand in there. Oh, yeah, I picture it. Right? Probably going way too far with it right now. Right? And I have to tell my wife struggled. And she's like, oh, I hear you. Right? Because that's real. That's, that's real. And I'm, you know, I feel like there's a side of me that goes, I'm sorry, man, for people who've stood up in your life and made you feel like it was something that's so far unattainable that the sanctified life was something so far out there. Lord, I could just never be this good. I could never be this. I could never look like this. I could never appear like this, God. How many times have we thought, well, if I just keep naming it, it's just going to happen in my life. If I wear the t-shirt and buy the bumper sticker and I act this way and I say these certain things, everybody will just believe it and maybe I'll start to believe it and that'll just be good enough. I'm telling you right now, you are enough in Christ. You are enough. Christ's love for you will carry you to the end. Your aspiration, make sure that your aspirations for yourself are what Christ has aspirations for. Right now, I'm pretty sure God just wants you to be where he is. Everything else in between is bonus. Just for fun. Enjoy life. None of this is meant to be miserable. Church should not be miserable. It should not be a place you come just so you can say you went. And make you feel like you got some kind of shield or you've done something great. It's not a work that produces anything. It should be a journey together. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you real quick. And then we're going to take up an offering for the Helping Center. Uh, we have spent the entire month uh, gathering food and uh, giving it to the Helping Center. They help so many people. And they've struggled year in and year out with having enough food. And enough finances to get what they need. Um, by the way, 80% of every kid in the school here, in the schools, 80% are on some kind of food program. So if you don't think the need is big in this town, it is. For all, the funny thing about Marble Falls, the church, all of it, we are the, we are the kings of the earth when it comes to putting on the appearance as if everything is good. Beautiful schools, beautiful buildings, beautiful thing, beautiful scenery here, beautiful everything. And yet behind the trees, behind the veil, there's a lot of suffering and hurting. A lot of kids being hungry. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. So when we help out the helping center, we are helping families that are struggling. We are. And it's a powerful thing to give and to be generous because, man, it... When God talks about the tithe, and God, I haven't taught on giving and things like that in a long time, and when God talks about a lot of that stuff, the biggest reason, man, God wants you to be thankful when you give, but the biggest reason really is God just wants to make sure that your finances are not your idolatry. That's really it. He just wants to make sure you don't have the idol of finance because, because finances can get, you know, when you pay your bill, you're out of that situation of a bill collector calling you. Everybody knows what that feels like. And 
And so finances have a big weight to us. They really are. They're a huge weight to us. Even in the church, even everybody bears that. But when we trust God, and that's really what God wants to do with finances, when we trust God, when we give, God is, you know, it's, it's our opportunity to be so faith-driven. Faith it's our opportunity to, to, to show that finances do not have a hold on us. See, that's how it works. You see that, guys? That's how it works. It's okay. It's all right. Maybe somebody, I'm just like praying like one day somebody's going to come in and just fall to the knees like, I, this is what I came for, right? Let's pray that with me, man, because I pray that sometimes. Somebody's going to walk in and go, that's it, I'm getting saved, and they just come straight down, right? We need something like that, right? All right, so I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll leave the basket back there, and hopefully if you don't have a slip, you can grab a slip or whatever, and on your way out, if you will put a little th- a note in there that says helping center uh, on your check or on the slip or whatever, uh, and let us know that's where that goes. Sound, sound, sound good, my guys? All right. Let, let me pray. Father, um, Lord, may we be a husband like you, God. May our eyes be fixed upon you. Change us, God. Lord, that we would love one another in unity, God. That we would be a family to all who enter to accept others as you accept us, God, in grace and forgiveness, God. Father, that you reach us right where we're at. Father, that we may uh, realize, God, that uh, we cannot save ourselves. (laughs) That it is not by any works by which we merit salvation, God, but it is through your Holy Spirit, Father. Father, I pray for those right now who bought into some lie that they need to be a certain way, that they need to talk a certain way, God, that, 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 that Lord, everything is so much it's just in between them and you, God. They've bought into some lie, like they, once they become a better person that they can receive you, or they, 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 they bought into something else, God, altogether. But, Father, that, that right now you would just go and meet them right where they're at, that you would, you would tell them and reveal to them your heart for them, God, that, that you love them just like they are, that they haven't let you down, that that's impossible. May your great love shine upon them this morning, God. And if that's you this morning, will you see me after the service? Will you come and talk to me and find me? You feel like God has beat you down? You feel like maybe you struggle with salvation, you struggle with, with, with certain things and believing that God loves you? Will you find me after this? God, I believe, has a word for you. Lord, I pray for the offering, uh, Lord, uh, for this helping sinner, God, that I, I know the, the things that they do, God, and the word that they speak to these people as they come in, God. Lord, I know the many churches that have rallied around this thing, God, and done great things for it, Father, because it is a work of giving to the poor and the needy, God. And you've declared in your word through the prophet Jeremiah that those that help the poor, those that plead the cause of the needy, God, are the ones that know you. Father, may it be well with them, God. May the ministry there flourish, God. May they meet the needs of this community, Father. Lord, help us to give to that, God, and be a part of that in any way that we can, God. Father, I thank you for this day. 
I pray that you bless them going out, God, and that they enjoy, uh, Lord, your earth like they never have before, God, that they appreciate every sunset and every sunrise, God, and that the beauty of your creation would speak to them of the greatness of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll just put that in the back in a slip, we'd appreciate it, and uh, I love you. You are dismissed this morning. Yep, financial meeting next Sunday, 6 p.m. Well, business meeting, whatever we want to call it. And the finances are back there on the table. If you want to grab two of the papers, they are a separate thing. You can grab those on the way out.